Welcome to the third season of Murder in 20 podcast, where I, Bobby Stevens, am your host with a new episode every Wednesday. If you're a serious fan of true crime and love listening to podcasts, but don't want all that small talk, you've come to the right place. We get right to the facts. Murder in 20 episodes are concise and complete in 20 minutes. Less talk and more true crime. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Thanks for tuning in. Cynthia was born in 1962. Growing up in St. Louis, Missouri, her family were deeply religious. In high school, Cynthia rebelled. She liked to party, drink, and have a lot of fun. Suddenly at 18, she found herself pregnant. She and her boyfriend Ron Kaufman got married. But the marriage ended after a few years, and Cynthia was on her own with a young son. Cynthia then felt the urge to spread her wings, so she left her son with family with plans to send for him later. She and a girlfriend headed 1,300 miles west to Page, Arizona. A few weeks later, her girlfriend returned home, but Cynthia stayed. She didn't like to be alone and was on the hunt for a man and to have a little fun. She was young and pretty with long dark hair with bangs that framed her almond eyes. The Los Angeles Times reported that she met and moved in with Doug Huntley. They lived together for eight months before he headed west to California looking for work. Cynthia followed him shortly after and joined him in Barstow. Doug got a job in construction and they rented a run-down, one-bedroom apartment next to the railway tracks. Cynthia's drug habit escalated. She was now doing drugs almost every day. In April 1986, she was with Doug when he was driving and got pulled over by the California Highway Patrol. Doug was charged with driving under the influence and carrying a dagger. Cynthia was charged with possession of methamphetamine and carrying a concealed weapon. Both pled not guilty. Here's where things took a twist. That same day, James Marlowe was arrested and he and Doug met in jail. James had stolen his ex-wife's car and got caught. James was a badass. He grew up in a small coal town in Kentucky. His mother was a con artist with substance abuse issues. By 18, he had numerous charges for theft and burglary. From there, he escalated to armed robbery and was convicted and spent five years in Folsom Prison, where he got a tattoo of a wolf, which earned him the nickname the Folsom Wolf. His ex-wife was too afraid to press charges, and he walked out a free man. Cynthia was released after five days, and Doug changed his plea to guilty in exchange for a plea bargain. He received 42 days in jail, then three years probation. Cynthia returned home alone to their derelict apartment. The next day, James showed up saying that he'd promised Doug he'd check in on her. The two spent an hour together, 
getting high and talking. In June, Doug finished serving his time and returned home to Cynthia. But then a warrant was issued for his arrest for unpaid child support. He was picked up by police and sent back to Arizona. James used the opportunity to check in on Cynthia. At six feet tall, almost 200 pounds, with dark hair, a mustache, and brown eyes, Cynthia found him attractive. He suggested she drive him to his cousin's 70 miles away in Fontana to buy drugs. The couple were then inseparable. Court records indicate that James told Cynthia his father had died and left him property in Kentucky. He talked her into stealing a friend's truck for their road trip and promised she could visit her son. Arriving in St. Louis near midnight, Cynthia was excited to see her son and called her parents. They told her it was too late to visit and to come by in the morning. But the next morning, James said there wasn't time and they headed to Kentucky. When they arrived, James confided in Cynthia the real reason for their trip. He'd been hired as a contract killer, and she was going to play a part in it. Cynthia refused, but he talked her into it. To set up the hit, Cynthia dressed in a halter top, and outside the man's house, she pretended her car had broken down and asked him for help. He obliged by taking a look under the hood. James appeared and shot him dead. Later, James returned with the water bills. Cynthia flipped through them and counted $5,000. In August, they drove to Atlanta. Out at a bar, James noticed Cynthia flirting with other men and it made him angry. That night, she paid the price. He cut off her beautiful long hair, right down to stubble. The couple returned to Kentucky and went into the backwoods looking for marijuana plants to steal. After not having much luck, they stole a station wagon and headed back to Arizona. They may have visioned themselves as the next Bonnie and Clyde, but their choice of car wasn't nearly as fast as the 1934 V8 that had enough engine power for Bonnie and Clyde to outrun the police. Back in Arizona, they stole safe from Doug's parents' house. Inside, they were disappointed to find mostly papers and a few silver coins. They headed back to friends in Newberry Springs and thanked them for their hospitality by stealing jewelry and pawning it for cash and drugs. In October, they sold the stolen station wagon and hopped on a bus to Fontana and stayed with James's cousin. James gave Cynthia a tattoo, inked on her buttocks were the words, Property of Folsom Wolf and on her left hand he tattooed four letters that spelled out wolf and told her that was her wedding ring. 
The couple then went to stay with James's sister Veronica and her husband. On November 7th, James announced they were going to rob a girl. He told Cynthia to get dressed up so they wouldn't raise suspicion. She wore a dress and he borrowed a suit. After dropping his sister off at work, the couple drove around looking for an easy mark. They parked at the Redlands Mall and surveyed the parking lot. That's when they saw Karina Novis, a pretty young brunette pull up in her white Honda CRX. It was just after 5 p.m. and Karina had finished her shift at the insurance company. She stopped and bought a pack of cigarettes then headed to the mall to get her nails done. She had a big night planned, dinner with friends, then homecoming activities at the university. James indicated, that's the one. But Cynthia disagreed and said, no, she's too young to have any money. But James's mind was made up. They watched Karina walk into the mall and waited for her to return. With her nails done, Karina headed back to her car. James ordered Cynthia to ask her for a ride to the university. Karina was a small-town girl who trusted everyone, and her instincts were to help people. Her car was only a two-seater, so James sat in the passenger seat with Cynthia on his lap. As Karina drove, James pointed a gun at her and told her to pull over. Cynthia slid behind the wheel. James slapped handcuffs on Karina and sat her on his lap. They drove to a friend's house and took her inside to the bedroom. Karina told them she had plans that night. James reassured her and told her not to worry. She'd make it. James then coerced Karina into providing her bank card's PIN number. Then he taped her mouth shut and sexually assaulted her. Afterwards, James and Cynthia put Karina in the back of her car, still with duct tape over her mouth and her hands in handcuffs. They covered her with a blanket. Cynthia drove them to get drugs, but then the couple realized... They couldn't show up with Karina, so they stopped at a vineyard. Cynthia stayed with the car as James removed the duct tape and handcuffs and walked away from the car with Karina. Without warning, he turned and strangled her. He returned to the car, grabbed a shovel, and dug a shallow grave. Karina died at 20. The couple drove to the bank and tried to use Karina's card, but she had given them the wrong PIN number. So then they went to her apartment and stole her answering machine, a typewriter, and a small amount of cash. The next morning they sold the typewriter for 50 bucks and traded the answering machine for drugs. In the afternoon, they drove to a creek and threw away Karina's belongings, except for one of her earrings. 
The next day, Cynthia managed to cash one of Karina's checks for $15, and the couple bought tacos for dinner. They stole license plates from another car and put them on the Honda, then spent the night parked behind a motel. The next morning was November 12th, and they were on the hunt for their next victim. At the Huntington Beach Mall, it was 6 p.m., and Cynthia was walking up and down the mall, scoping out the businesses. A customer dropped off clothes at a dry-cleaning shop. Lionel Murray, a young psychology student, was behind the counter. At 6.30 p.m., Linda Whitlake was leaving the gym at the mall when Cynthia walked up to her, saying her car wouldn't start, and asked for a ride. Linda agreed, but when Cynthia went to get James, she changed her mind, locked her purse in her car, and was about to tell them, but Cynthia interrupted her and told her James had changed his mind and was going to call the auto club. That was Linda's lucky day. James turned his attention to Lionel, who was now closing up the dry cleaners. He and Cynthia emptied the cash register, stole clothing, and abducted the beautiful blue-eyed blonde. A half hour later, when Lionel didn't show up for a date, her concerned boyfriend stopped by. When he found her car sitting behind the mall, he called police. Thirteen minutes after leaving the mall, Cynthia used Lionel's credit card to check them into a motel. This time, they weren't waiting. They drove to the bank and used Lionel's debit card to withdraw $140. The San Bernardino County Sun reported that back at the motel, James told Cynthia, You're going to kill this one. Lionel was gagged, arms tied with a towel, and her ankles duct-taped. He told Cynthia to put a towel around her neck and pull. But she just couldn't do it. So James grabbed the other end, and they both pulled. But it didn't work. So James told her to get out of the way, grab both ends, and strangled Lionel. Then James instructed Cynthia to fill the bathtub. James placed Lionel face down in the water, with her body hanging outside. Lionel was dead at 19. Cynthia grabbed Lionel's wallet and a souvenir, one leaf-shaped earring. The couple drove east for an hour and checked into a hotel in the city of Ontario using Lionel's credit card. They dressed up in the stolen clothes. Cynthia wore a skirt and blouse and James wore a suit. Out for dinner, they dined on steak and shrimp. The next day, an employee at the motel discovered Lionel's beaten and bruised body. On the bath mat, police discovered a footprint from James's boot. 
James and Cynthia drove east to Running Springs. In a parking lot, Cynthia attempted to wipe away their fingerprints from the Honda before leaving it behind. They hitched tight to the city of Big Bear and checked into a lodge using Lionel's credit card. Later when they used it to make a purchase at a clothing store in town, authorities were alerted. By nightfall on November 14th, police were closing in on Big Bear and traced the couple to the lodge. Leaving in a hurry, James left his identification behind. Considered armed and dangerous, 100 officers were brought in as word of the fugitive spread. It wasn't long before James and Cynthia were spotted by a transit driver as they walked along the road. The driver radioed his dispatcher, who contacted the sheriff's office. Police swooped in. Their reign of death was over. Inside Cynthia's purse, police found a loaded revolver, credit card receipts with Lionel's forged signature, Lionel's identification, and that leaf-shaped earring. Cynthia took authorities to the vineyard and led them to Karina's body. Cynthia and James were charged with kidnapping, robbery, burglary, and murder. They were held without bail. Both pled not guilty. The couple went on trial for Karina's murder in 1989. The couple who had been together for a mere six months turned on one another. Cynthia's lawyer tried to say she was a battered woman, afraid of James. But the jury saw Cynthia as intelligent and manipulative. Both were found guilty and sentenced to death. Prosecutors wanted to make certain that if they appealed their convictions, they would remain behind bars. Three years later in 1992, James and Cynthia went on trial for Lionel's murder. James surprised the court when he changed his plea to guilty, a move his lawyer recommended in an attempt to avoid the gas chamber. But it didn't work. The judge handed James a second death sentence. And Cynthia was found guilty and sentenced to life in prison without parole. James resides in a cage on death row at San Quentin State Prison. Cynthia is behind bars on death row at the Central California Women's Facility, where she just turned 61 and has earned the title of being his longest female death row inmate. Thanks for listening to Murder in 20 with less talk and more true crime. Be sure to tune in next Wednesday for the episode of Nursing Novak. She married Ben, the son of a famous hotelier. After 17 years, she wasn't about to give up her plush life. She knew Ben provided for her in his will and that his estate was worth $10 million. But there was a glitch. His mother... If you're dying to hear more, past episodes of Murder in 20 are available for free at murderin20.com and on all major podcast platforms. We love what we do and are dying to continue. 
If you enjoy listening to Murder in 20 every week, we'd be eternally grateful for your support by visiting Murder in 20 at Patreon, PayPal, or Murder20.com. We'd like to acknowledge Purple Planet for use of their music, sound effects from Vaseline Studios and Quick Sounds, and our many editorial sources who are listed on our website. Be sure to like, share, and follow us to learn about upcoming episodes every Wednesday. Stay safe, sleep with the lights on, and don't play with strangers.